1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown, and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I was joined on the show by Ian Thomas, uh, co-founder of LendInvest. And if you listen to that episode, you will have heard that LendInvest do in fact straddle both fintech and to some extent the learning and development sphere, or edtech, within the overall prop tech umbrella, if that's not too many techs in one sentence. Whilst LendInvest's property development course is not delivered using technology as such, they do have an online development academy, which does fall within the EdTech um, or prop tech description. So today I plan to summarise some of uh, the other prop tech or EdTech options available to us along with a, a general introduction to the topic of uh, learning and development in general and property training and development in particular. Okay, let's go.
0: Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. So
1: let's start off by setting the scene a little and uh, rise up a few thousand feet to look into learning development in general terms. Firstly, what are the ways in which we learn? Well, this is best described under the heading of learning styles. When I went to school, college, university and even underwent some postgraduate level of study, I was taught mostly through the two most common teaching techniques or learning styles, being linguistic and logical. And this was through a mixture of classroom study, text and reference books, uh, the use of repetition to remember, and finally exams to test my level of retention. I know things are starting to change now, but still rather slowly as far as mainstream academia is concerned at least. However, to illustrate, my youngest daughter has just been accepted onto an applied medical sciences degree uh, course at UCL, and and they seem to be leading the way with some alternative teaching methods, such as combining the use of online materials, highly practical sessions with industry practitioners, and face-to-face learning with university lecturers too. I believe this is advanced and innovative, as far as the UK is concerned at least. And I think you can read between the lines there to say, actually, there's still a way to go. That said, there are, in fact, seven learning styles, not just the two you probably encountered the most at school. And we're likely to have a few favourites and also a dominant learning style too. So it's a good idea to understand what your own learning preferences are. So here are the, the, uh, the learning, seven learning styles now. Number one is visual or spatial. Uh, and this means you prefer using pictures, images, and spatial understanding. Number two is oral or auditory musical where you prefer using sound and music. Three is verbal or linguistic where you prefer using words both in speech and writing. Four is physical or kinesthetic you prefer using your body, hands, and sense of touch. Five is logical or mathematical You prefer using logic, reasoning, and systems. Six is social or interpersonal. You prefer to learn in groups or with other people. And seven is solitary or intrapersonal. You prefer to work alone and use self-study. And I've quoted the source for that uh, particular material. It's from uh, learningstylesonline.com. Links in the show notes if you wanted to look it up. There's a lot more besides what I've just read out. But in other words, if you prefer to learn visually, then you might learn better and faster through image-based learning aids such as videos, infographics, and other pictorial representations. Contrast that to someone who has, say, a physical learning style um, preference, for example. They're more likely to want to roll their sleeves up, dive right in, and be very practical and hands-on instead. So you can see how the learning styles and preferences plays a part in how we like to do things. And how we pick pick up what we know. In other words, current EdTech might cover more of the learning styles in schools and universities but still not necessarily all of them. However, we can develop our capabilities for our non preferred styles and in fact probably have had to do that anyway in order to survive the mainstream educational system. Uh, or if you did struggle uh, and you didn't know why, perhaps now you do. So if the idea of doing stuff appeals more than, say, reading stuff, you can perhaps understand and recognise that it's just your style and preference, and there's nothing wrong with that either. The next point I really wanted to cover as a foundation is forms of intelligence. Again, when I went to university, I don't mean to say in any bragging way, it's just an experience. When I went to university, one of my friends was chatting to a rather narrow-minded fellow student about his sister, so it's my friend's sister we're talking about, and she had chosen to study art after leaving school, which prompted the ignorant response from the third student, why wasn't she clever enough to go to university? (laughs) Apart from making my blood boil with anger at the ignorance and rudeness of his response, it was just plain wrong as well. Let me illustrate. There are in fact nine different forms of intelligence, but once again our academic system heavily favours just a few of them. University tends to focus again on maybe two or four of the nine. And here are the nine forms of intelligence or smarts as they're called uh, or described by Howard Gardner who is a uh, developmental psychologist. The first one is uh, naturalist or being nature smart. Second is musical or sound smart. Third is logical mathematical or number and reasoning smart. Fourth is existential or life smart. Fifth is interpersonal or people smart. Six is bodily kinesthetic or body smart. Seven is linguistic or word smart. Eight is intrapersonal or self smart. And nine is spatial or picture smart. And again, there's a source. It's come from um, a blog um, called uh, adioma.com, nine types of intelligence. Uh, there's There's a reference in the show notes if you'd like to look it up. So again, you can clearly see that my university friend's sister was probably picture smart. Probably among several other smarts, for that matter, as well. So, uh, we it, there was there was stupid to suggest that she wasn't clever enough to go to university. She was definitely clever enough, but to for you know follow a different path. And uh, again, you know you can see how the um, the learning styles and the forms of intelligence play a part, perhaps in how we can learn and how we can get knowledge. And. Um, we each have a blend of learning styles and forms of intelligence so that makes our learning and development needs differ from one another and also means some methods will be more effective for us than others as well. And given the fact that you're listening to this podcast, you may at least have a partial preference to a linguistic learning style and potentially also be, also be word smart as well. Or perhaps you're just bossing yourself as somebody said you should. <laughs> However, you probably have several preferences and forms of intelligence in reality. So as said, take some time to figure out um, and then go looking for tools, resources and other learning aids that, uh, that you know they are going to be best for you uh, to complement you, your strongest form of intelligence and how you best like to learn. I'm a great believer in doing, in going with the grain or swimming with the tide, but you can also train yourself and adapt to other styles as well. Next is forms of learning. Now that we have the styles and smarts elements out of the way, what are the most common learning methods that we could adopt? Well, I've identified the four big ones as follows. Number one is self-study. Essentially, this is the stumble upon or pick and mix or Google search or ask Alexa method. Um, You know, any one of those, you know, gives you the clues really of what it's all about. And it allows us to pick up a variety of learning formats as we go such as through books, magazines, forums, uh, podcasts, video channels and so on. The second one is structured learning and this is through things like class-based teaching, courses, programs, college and degree or professional training programs. Third is shadowing and this is usually in the form of things like apprenticeships or mentoring joint ventures and other forms of what's called observational learning or third-party direction. Four, sink or swim. <laughs> Basically, I've just made up a fourth S. <laughs> There's four S's, sink or swim being the fourth one, but this is where we, we dive in and like to do it ourselves and conduct what I call experiential learning. Um, You know, it's the DIY approach, get in, roll your sleeves up and get on with it. Uh, So it's possibly not EdTech as well in reality. So think of it more as on the job or project training instead. And therefore I'm not going to go into it in a lot of detail here. But as mentioned, EdTech is unlikely to fully address the fourth element directly. So it could be used to complement, for example, in a similar way to reading a Haynes manual and then going to change the brakes on your car or perhaps reading a recipe and, or watching a recipe on YouTube and then preparing your signature dish for friends that you're going to have around. You get the picture, no doubt. The other point I wanted to highlight is the seventy twenty ten principle. And you might have heard of this, It's uh, my, my wife is a senior HR, human resources professional, and she talks regularly about the 70-20-10 principle. And there's a reference to Wikipedia link if you want to see more about that. But essentially, this model breaks down as follows. that It's 70% learning by experience or on-the-job training, 20% by developmental relationships or social learning through things like mentors and networks and 10% by formal coursework and training, including self-directed learning or self-study. And that picks up the, um, the, the balancing of learning and development formats, mainly in a corporate situation, I hasten to add. But of course, as property investors, the large majority of us will rarely be in a corporate situation, uh, where what we do in property is our full-time day job or business. But it certainly can be. Um, It can also be related such as being a letting agent, surveyor or project manager by day and a keen property investor by night and at weekends for example. But the 70-20-10 principle is a useful guide as to where you are likely to gain the most and crucially also to apply the most knowledge. Although when we start out we may need to turn the thing on its head a little bit. So for example, look at people who are going to college or university they'll invest typically two to four years in formal and social learning before going to get a job. So it's also the case that for new and aspiring property investors and developers that we might need to sink into acquiring knowledge intensively and immersively for a time before we take the plunge with our first deal or the next progressive deal. Our learning styles as mentioned earlier also play a part. Some people learn best by doing Others by observing, others by talking, listening, questioning, or discussing, others by working on problems and case studies, etc. So, in other words, why, what might work best for one might not work best for another, and you can probably guess what my preferred learning style is just from the last sentence or two alone. <laughs> There's a point that I really wanted to bring in here is is what I call the price of learning. There is always a price. Um, you know, I wanted to touch on here, there's always a price to pay for acquiring knowledge and it's perhaps not as obvious as you might immediately think. Of course there's a cost attached to everything that we learn or we even fail to learn for that matter. It could be financial such as the actual price of the learning and development program uh, if there is a cost attached to it. It could also be lost profit due to our lack of experience for example. It could be an opportunity cost, sacrificing one thing to do something else. That could be time with a family, literally. Our time input could be years of study that we have to invest before we we become proficient. It could be a time drag. We can't do something until we learn the steps before, you know, uh, going forward and so on. But there is always some sort of price to pay for our learning. Make no mistake in that. And I'm a firm believer in having a grounding before diving in too deeply. After all, how can we judge whether a £25,000 to £40,000 property mentorship is good value and appropriate to us personally without at least some base knowledge, some general information and a personal assessment along with having some clear uh, objectives of our own, not that somebody has told us we should have. And if we listen to the hype, we'll see and hear of people that apparently made millions and swear by the heavy intensity and also heavy cost, uh, 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 I mean, high value personal investment mentorships that you'll find on the property circuit. But the anecdotal stories and stats seem to imply that for every home run or millions achiever, in other words, there are probably dozens, if not hundreds of plodders and flunkers um, that, that more than compensate for those you know superstars that uh, smash those home runs and make their millions and this is for several reasons partly because the truth of the matter is we often get out what we actually put in ourselves so we have a personal responsibility as well but we might have a head start such as having pre-existing knowledge uh, some funds behind us or a network pre, pre you know ready-made network for example Well, let's face it, it could also have some element of luck about it as well. Nobody likes to put their personal achievements down to luck, but being in the right place at the right time certainly plays a part in success as well. Just look at Napster versus Spotify, General Magic versus Apple, MySpace versus Facebook, and Sinclair versus Tesla, just amongst many examples that have similar ideas, but the timing was perhaps not quite right. So the big question is, do you really need to be a top 1%er? percenter or will top 5% still work for you? If so, then there are many ways to get into that bracket without necessarily spending tens of thousands on training and mentorships. Plus, it's a, it's a lower bar than you might realise. After all, in a population of around 65 million, only 1.8 million or so are landlords. That's less than 3% of these landlords, around 93% only have one property. So in other words, about 126,000 people in the country own at least two rental properties. And that's less, much less than 1% of the population. So in conclusion, get yourself a single buy to let and you're already in the top 3%. Get another and you're in the top 1%. And there's a, a source of where that information came from, the show notes, it's come from a home let article homenet.co.uk, but you can see a link in the show notes. But maybe to help draw a conclusion for this uh, this preamble part of uh, of today's episode, let me finish by sharing one of my favourite quotes. It comes from Charlie Tremendous Jones, <laughs> which is a tremendous name in itself, who, who says, you will be the same person in five years as you are today, except for the people you meet and the books that you read. In other words, his focus is on the 20% and the 10% of the 70-20-10 principle, pretty much. At least in terms of personal growth and making a real difference. And I think books in current day terms now extends to other media such as video, audio, graphics, apps, and so on. And the people you meet aspect is your network, which ironically is also part of the selling point of many of those expensive mentorships or mastermind programs that the big training providers uh, can offer. It's the price of membership of the club, if you like, and uh, is actually a potential spin-off benefit of joining such a program, although I'm not necessarily advocating that you do. But as you might have gathered, after this quite long preamble to the, uh, uh, to the meaty EdTech stuff, I'm, I'm a big fan of learning and personal development, and I see it as a way to continue to help grow and develop in, in, in my life and, and in my business. However, it also helps to both de-risk our property investing activities and also provide us with new opportunities as well. After all, I met my business partner on a mastermind program. Okay, enough already. Let's get into the meaty EdTech stuff proper now then. EdTech, what is out there currently? So here comes the actual EdTech part of today's episode. Uh, thank you for your patience getting to this point. However, I honestly felt it was right to set the scene a little, as it places much of what I'm about to share into a better context. Well, I certainly hope you agree with me in that regard anyway. The first area really to talk about is um, is self-directed aids. You remember there's those four areas, that ways we could study the first one was self-direction. Um, and here there are some you know, different ways that you can look to teach yourself in property in business and in general personal development as well. Of course we've got books, whether that's physical paperbacks, uh, books or electronic versions such as Kindle and PDF downloads. There are magazines, your property network, property investor news, the property hub magazine all, all available and a lot of them are, you know, factual and case study led, you know, um, pieces. I myself write for your property network magazine. You can see it in my column in there if you like. Audio so of course we've got audio books, but we've also got podcasts such as this, plenty of them. Um, audio books you obviously need to pay. You can get a, a subscription with uh, Audible for you can get two books a month for about eight quid, I think it is. So that's pretty good value. And podcasts, most of them are free. Video, um, video, visual. I've got written down here. I mean, I, I meant audio visual. I meant visual. Uh, YouTube, TED Talks, Instagram. And Pinterest are all, you know, if you like more of this pictorial representation person, maybe you can go hunting for information in one of those sites. Then you've got news and information aggregators. Things like Scoop It, StumbleUpon, Cora, Feedly and other things like that. So they're aggregators pulling information, uh, content curation and this sort of thing. Then we have apps. We've got things like Blinklist. Uh, Blinklist summarise books in about 15 minutes. Pocket, which is a consolidation app, uh, rich dad uh, apps and games. The cash flow game is pretty addictive on rich dad, uh, poor dad. So go look look it up. Then we have forums. Uh, we've got the Property Hub. We've got Property One One Eight, Property Tribes, and bigger pockets in the U.S. If you want a slightly different um, flavor to your to your discussions and learning. A lot of things going on in the States are quite advanced, actually, so it probably is worth having a look. But it isn't always translatable to the UK market. But there's some good information. But equally, each forum has its own identity and, uh, and and feel about it. So find one that suits you best. And then you have property communities. You've got Progressive Property. You've got Property Investors Network. And then there are groups on Facebook and LinkedIn that you can go and check out. And again, they have their own you know, values and their own way of doing things. So, see what's a good fit for you. Um, I guess the, you know, I was going to summarize pros and cons of each of these uh, particular headings. So, if you're like in the pro section here under the the uh, self-directed learning aids, um, they're either low cost or they're free in many cases. And with discipline, it can be highly targeted at your learning objectives. It also allows for a wide multimedia type of approach. You can have audio, video, forum postings, magazines. You know, there's there's all sorts of different things you can mix together there as you wish. But on the con side, it could be quite a scattergun approach as well and can lead to what I call shiny penny syndrome, you know, which is, oh, that's a nice one, oh that's a nice one. And you just, you know, you just keep moving forward. And you don't have a lot of clear focus and maybe not clear direction or outcome as well. It can be very time-consuming, you know. If you just spend on time on stumble upon, that's the whole point. Stumble upon, stumble upon, stumble upon. You can spend hours just looking at different things. So it can be very time-consuming. The quality and the depth of the information online also varies quite a lot, and uh, especially so when it's free. But you might find uh, many of these reference uh, on the on our resources page. That's uh, thepropertyvoice.net slash resources. Go and have a look. There's many of them signposted there. The second area is structured learning. And in particular, I want to talk about options that utilize technology in their delivery. So not all forms of structured learning. I'm going to try and focus on the ones that use technology that I've come across. And the first general heading is in industry or professional. And the the following industry bodies and associations have training and development courses that utilize technology, at least in some way. So, for example, the uh, National Landlords Association, which I'm a member, I became accredited online. I did online courses uh, to get my accreditation. So I just sat at home, read some material, watched some videos um, and uh, filled in a questionnaire all online. And the Residential Landlords Association uh, have something similar, I believe. I haven't followed that one, but I believe they do. Then you have RICS or the Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors, uh, ALA, the uh, letting agent or NAEA, the, the state agency under the name of a uh, property mark now, have uh, various online offerings. And the, and the UK Association of Letting Agents or UK-ARLA, and there's probably other industry associations as well who are starting to deliver uh, materials online. Then I guess you've got another heading, which is uh, (laughs) property training companies. And and this has become big business for some. Um, Progressive Property and uh, Property Investors Network are the big two that also have an online or digital learning options available. And then there's a host of smaller, more specialized or independent property uh, training providers that have developed property training generally, Or in a niche uh, area uh, as an additional revenue stream, for example. I'm not going to list them all. Um, Then we have specifically online property courses. So, yes, um, it's not just the provider here. I'm talking about courses that we can take. And some providers deploy training online. For example, the Property Hub has some online training videos uh, that you can get freely. And this is aimed at property investors, particularly starting out. LendInvest, as mentioned uh, last time out, or a couple of weeks ago rather, has an academy knowledge centre, which is online and it's aimed at property developers. The NLA and RLA both both have e-learning course options aimed at landlords. And RICS has online options more tailored to surveyors, but also has an introduction to valuations and home inspections as course options. Which will probably have a much wider appeal, including to us as well. I'm sure other people have other things, but you know, go and see what's available is my kind of queue, really. And then we have other e-learning course options uh, as a general umbrella, and you may or may not have heard the term MOOC, M-O-O-C, uh, which means massive open online course. And There is a growing array of technology solutions and platforms that allows training materials to be hosted and shared online and on demand in this way. One such provider you may have heard of is Udemy, which uh, which has courses on real estate, perhaps reflecting its US bias uh, that it has. But there are some alternatives to Udemy as well. The most credible being EdX or Ed and then just X mainly because the courses are delivered by U.S. Ivy League universities. So, credible sources, in other words. But also, Lynda, spelt with a a Y, -Y L-Y-N-D-A, has much more practical e-learning options, such as real estate photography or project management, for example. And I've seen, you know, an online property training course advertised on Groupon, which has pretty high ratings as well, I might add. Uh, one to watch out for for the future is called How Now, which is a platform that brings together expert teachers that can deliver interactive classes online, either on a one on one basis or in a group setting. Uh, I've not seen any yet covering property directly, but there are some expert teachers and trainers that train in related topics like fundraising and money management, using Excel and mindset, among others. Some of the lending e-learning companies are also using artificial intelligence now as well in their offerings. So expect to see more widespread provision of training and training methods, also in property as time passes by. So, what are the pros and cons? Well, of the uh, of this more you know the structured learning options. Well, the first pro really is that. Um, the, the learning is pulled together around a clear theme with identifiable objectives and learning outcomes. So it's more focused in other words. Often it, it builds towards you know, a general overall theme such as a professional qualification or retaining professional qualifications through what's called CPD, continuing professional development. It also allows the learner to immerse themselves in the topic far more um, An increasingly more widespread uh, range of study methods is also starting to take place, so there's some of the pros. On the con side, often, although not always, they come at a cost, these courses. Uh, And some providers only tell part of the story with the aim of upselling the really juicy stuff at the next course, only to find another upsell waiting for you. So watch out for that as well a little bit, just try and find out the actual course content before you commit to something and of course the quality also varies. And the final area I want to go through is shadow learning options and this is essentially the closest you will probably get to doing something practical to to learn from without the sink or swim approach of doing it yourself. So as such it's often the highest costing form of learning as well. Shadowing typically falls under two types of model. Um, The The first is what I like to call the you drive whilst I navigate and the second is observe as I do. Some examples include uh, mentoring and coaching, mastermind groups and earn and learn style joint ventures within the property sector. And to be honest there are plenty of people that offer these types of more tailored programs including me so I won't list them all here again. The key is to find a coach, mentor or trainer that is truly adept and experienced in the area you want to learn in. I certainly won't mentor people in strategies that I have no experience with and nor should any mentor. There is a saying as well that those that can't do, teach instead. But that can be quite a harsh assessment, at least in some cases. Some people are naturally able and willing to share their knowledge and help people to grasp ideas and concepts that they might struggle with or lack experience of. Uh, but you do need to watch out for the ones who can't do so teach, so just be careful. <laughs> One of the things to watch out for here is, uh, is for content and deliverables. In other words, what will you actually learn through the program and what will you be able to implement uh, as a result of undertaking such a program? mentoring really should have a definite outcome I think such as buying an investment property and that's how it differs to training I think. Uh, I have also seen some people offer training and mentoring that have very limited real world experience so make sure you know the background and track record of anyone offering such services. The part that makes this edtech in particular is the means of delivery or learning Anything electronic or digital means it can fall under the EdTech banner. So think of webinar, video call, remote interactive study, online, digital. And a couple of the benefits of undertaking e-learning in this category should, should be an option for an on-demand learning uh, method and also remote or distance learning. You know, so you don't have to travel that far to actually undertake the learning. And these two often lead to reduced cost as well. So what are the pros? Often they're far more focused, personalized content through this type of approach. Uh, they're more real-to-life experience. Often it can be case study led, it could be on the project uh, itself. So you know it can be kind of a free format. You don't know what problems you're going to encounter exactly. We should do generally but not exactly. But it can also cut down learning time and mistakes quite considerably. There's some of the upsides I guess of this type of training. Um, Or program. On the cons, it can be expensive. Um, Quality issues, as with the structured training, you know, uh, arise as well. You know, quality varies from person to person or provider to provider and it's an unregulated sector that can lead to bad or even illegal advice and practices being shared at times, unfortunately. So here's my recommendation. I usually advise people to do the following fundamental things on a committed basis for say three to six months and then decide if you want to undertake something bigger or more formalized in the learning and development uh, arena. First suggestion is read books but also listen to podcasts and watch videos to suit your learning style of course. So when I say read I mean absorb information from the source. You can look at industry magazines, you can look at property websites and forums, but basically read, absorb information is the first step. The second is to network. So that means getting into property communities. But one word of warning, leave your credit card at home. <laughs> By all means, talk to other investors who are present of the day and ask them about their experience and why they are doing as they are. Their answer might not be the same as yours or even appropriate to your situation. So make sure you ask lots of people, in other words. And then work on your own purpose and goals. What do you want to achieve? By when? And in what way? Which means your preferences and your non-negotiables. This does not touch strategy, not yet. That comes at the end of this process. So for example, someone looking for some extra cash to top a pension in 25 years, but still Plans to work full-time would have a different approach or strategy to someone looking to quit or replace the day job in, say, 90 days. It might take some time to figure all of this stuff out. So take some time. and But it, but not loads. Don't <laughs> take loads of time. I've recommended three to six months to do all of these three steps. So the, the, uh, acquiring knowledge for reading uh, and that that type of information gathering, networking, and, of course, figuring out our own purpose and goals. Um, but don't take too much time because procrastination can be a dream killer as well and only then decide what sort of formalized learning and development you might wish to take after undertaking these initial steps that's my recommendation at least so how could I help Uh, well the Proxy voice podcast and website has lots of episodes and articles in the archives for you to look through freely the resources page has plenty of external links and, and references as well You can also subscribe to my monthly column in YPM magazine, subscription free, simply by emailing in to ask to go on the list and you'll be notified of each magazine article as it gets published. Uh, You can read my book, Property Investor Toolkit. It costs less than a cup of coffee, certainly for the uh, digital formats. Uh, You can undertake the eight module iKickstart online training course that both Damien Fogg and I pulled together a little while ago. It covers all of the foundations of property investment and it's now available for just 97 pounds. Email in quoting this podcast episode to get us at that price and you can use the you can visit the mentoring page on the propertyvoice.net website to see what shadow mentoring options I could support you with potentially including earn and learn which actually means you get paid to learn by the way. But in conclusion, the edtech sector is one of the fastest growing tech sectors in the country. And according to research from London and Partners, it's worth 45 billion globally, that's pounds, and could reach a phenomenal 129 billion by 2020. And again, that's come from UK Tech News, so the source is quoted in the article. Property training has been a a fast growing sector within edtech as well and there are lots of resources available including many that genuinely fall within the EdTech definition. However with such variety and choice can also come both overwhelm and analysis paralysis or paralysis by analysis as well. And that's why I suggest starting with your purpose and goals and taking some time to cover the fundamentals get some knowledge work on your purpose and goals that'll help you to filter what's relevant to you. The other element is that the wealth creation industry, as it were, also attracts people with money, but people who are looking to get hold of money in some way. So Just be careful where you put your money and also your trust, as there are plenty of sharks circling waiting for some fresh meat to sink their teeth into as well. That all said, I do see lots of positives in how we can learn now utilizing EdTech to support us. We can go to the gym listening to a podcast. We can learn and interact from an experienced investor from halfway around the world on Skype. We can take an online course from the comfort of our own home on pretty much anything we choose to develop ourselves with. So there really is no excuse to be or remain ignorant anymore. The question is, what will you do to further your knowledge and more importantly to apply it to reaching your personal goals? The sector is still growing and I expect to see more innovation in the years ahead, but hopefully is already something, there's already something there that will appeal to you, no matter, no matter your learning style or your preferred or natural form of intelligence. Okay, so next time out we'll be talk, taking a look at blockchain technology and I'll have a special guest along to join me for that. So make sure you tune in for that uh, potentially game-changing technological advance for the property sector, won't you? but in the meantime and as always the show notes can be found over at the website thepropertyvoice.net or if you want to talk about anything from today's show receive an intro to one of my guests or just talk property investing you can email my podcast at thepropertyvoice.net and i will be more than happy to hear from you but once again all i want to say is thank you very much for listening again this week and until next time on the property voice podcast it's ciao ciao